The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. It is the holidays. I love the holiday season. I, I love all of the, the goofiness around it. I, I love all of the, the traditions and things like that. One of the things that I love, and I, and I got to talk to the, at the Holly and Ivy thing, the women's ministry event, I, I told them this. I, I love holiday movies. Uh, I love this time of year for movies' sake. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit, anybody else a big movie buff? Anybody else a big movie buff? I love movies. I rarely go see them in theaters because it costs like $38 a ticket, and uh, I don't love any movie that much. Uh, but anyway, I love the holidays because they have a lot of great movies come out. The Hobbit just came out. Anybody see that yet? Don't, don't tell me how it ends. All right, so anyway, um, that just came out, and there's some great movies coming out. And I, I love uh, Christmas movies that come out on Christmas Day because it always gives you, you know, an excuse to go see a movie, and you, and you get to say to your, your family, I'm spending time with you because we're in the same room. But I don't have to talk or look at you for like three hours, right? And that's, that's a Christmas miracle. That's what that is right there. That's a Christmas miracle. Not my family. I love my family. You're great. Not you guys. But I've heard from other people. But anyway, I, I love that. And, and one, of the, one of the big blockbusters that, that's come out recently, um, and, and I'm sure a lot of people will get it for Christmas, uh, it's the new Batman series. Now, some of you, the, the first time you, you saw Batman uh, on the screen was played by Adam West, all right? And, and remember that, that, that whole thing, I, I, I watched it too, and, and I, I watched it on, you know, video or whatever, but I remember watching it and, and how campy it was, and it was fun, and, but you know, like when... When he, like, won, when he beat the Joker, like, the Joker would be like, I'm going to set off this bomb that's going to make everybody laugh. That's not too dangerous, Joker. But anyway, that's what I'm going to do. And then Batman would stop him. He'd come in and hit him. And then Pal would come on the screen. And, and you know, they'd all be friends and laughing at the end. I'll get you next time, Batman. It didn't, I, I don't, I wasn't very emotionally involved, you know. Like, I didn't really... The victory was pretty shallow, right? And so then uh, there are these movies that have come out, and, and, and they'll be under your trees, I'm sure. Uh, the Dark Knight series, right? Christopher Nolan has redone Batman, and, and they're really gritty, and they're really, like, the, the campiness is gone. Even the Michael Keaton Batman and all that, like, that was still pretty campy, still pretty goofy. But this is, like, the, like all of that is gone, and it, it's almost as if, like, this could happen. And you go, Grant, are you serious? Like, he's a superhero. I know. I know, I understand that. But I mean, the relationships they have are real. And, and, and what it costs Batman is real. Like, like, he's really risking great things. There's great risks in this. And, 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 and instead of just like, I'm going to stop this bomb from blowing up and making people laugh. He's like, I'm going to stop this nuclear device that's going to kill like 8 million people, right? Like, it's a real, like, there's real cost. And so when Batman is victorious in the Dark Knight series, and you go, I haven't seen it yet. The hero wins. I'm sorry, I spoiled it for you, all right? Spoiler alert, the hero wins. But anyway, when he wins, I feel something. I'm, I'm emotional. I'm excited. Why? Because, because it was real. Because there was a real cost. And the reality is, without the blemishes, you miss the beauty, right? Without the bruises, you miss the, the, the beauty and the, and the depth, right? This week uh, in Advent, it is uh, love. We, we light the pink candle. So if you go home, you light your pink candle on your Advent wreath, which again, I'm sure you all have. And 
And the reality is I think we miss the depth of, of the reality of the love of God for us in Christmas because our Christmas is just too clean. It's 1960s Adam West Batman clean. You get what I'm saying? What I mean is that uh, we have a bunch of nativity scenes at my house, all right? Like you've seen the show Hoarders, right? My family would qualify as nativity hoarders, all right? Like they would just, I just can't stop buying them. I love the baby Jesus, right? But we've got them everywhere. And so like Max, we got Max a little nativity and, and so he's got his little little his little nativity and Angela calls me she's like should we get a Charlie Brown nativity and I was like yeah why wouldn't we right like yes by three and so anyway we've got nativities everywhere and when you look at Max's nativity everybody's smiling and everybody's happy and Mary just like her hair's perfect and she's just like I'm in no pain whatsoever right like she just like everything's just clean and and like the the, the little animals are all clean and it's just a little too perfect and we read uh I, we read in this little book this little baby Jesus book because you know I asked my son what is Christmas all about and and he said Santa and then I was like Angela we are not doing good all right like we got to fix this so we got this little baby Jesus book and and as it talks about like Christmas like as I noticed, like it's it's like Joseph, uh, an angel appears to Joseph, and so it, here's the here's the angel in the dream that Joseph's having, and and here's Joseph. He's like, like he's happy, and the angel's happy. Like, yeah, I don't think it happened that way. Like, and when an angel appears to Mary, and she's like, "What's up?" Like she was expecting him, right? Like, and then they get on this donkey ride to go to Bethlehem. She's pregnant. She's she's nine months pregnant on a donkey, right? Now listen, my wife was the most beautiful pregnant woman on the planet, but probably the most uncomfortable nine months of her life. Would you agree? Absolutely. Very uncomfortable. You know, it, it didn't matter. She had to stick her, her feet up because they were big. All right, anyway, so she, you know, she just, everything was uncomfortable. She could never get comfortable. And Mary's on this donkey in this little baby Jesus book, and she's like, you know, and like... I'm going, and Joseph's having a great time. There is no way Joseph's having a great time. There's no way, right? The whole time Mary's in his ear, like, would you give me some of that water? But you're on the dawn. I'm walking. I need more of the water. I have the Savior of the world, all right, here. Like, what are you doing? There's no way they're having a good time. Then they get to the inn, and the innkeeper's like, I don't have anything, but I've got, I've got a, a barn you could sleep in. And Mary and Joseph are like, yeah, a barn. There's no way that was good news, right? And so anyway, like, the reality is, when Christmas is that clean, when we see Christmas in that way, and we tell the Christmas story in that way, I can understand why people don't see the depth in it. Because that's a shallow story. There's, there's no blemishes there, so there's no, there's no real beauty there, right? So when, you, when, you, when we get around Christmas, think, think about it like this. When we get around Christmas, we hear this name a lot, Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us, right? So Emmanuel, God with us. Now, when, I, when it's not Christmas time, I don't hear that much. And when we hear Emmanuel, God with us, we go, man, that's, that's awesome. That sounds great. Like, that's a cool word. Like, God with us. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt, right? Like, that's, that's great. We're going to do some hand motions and sing to it. That's awesome. Emmanuel, right? But think about in the context. Think about the grit and the grime. Think about the blemishes of this story and the beauty of Emmanuel. Think about it if you're an Israelite. And here's the context. They're in this Roman culture. They've been kind of pushed into the corner of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is like, keep to yourself, be quiet, and follow our rules, right? So they're oppressed. They're pushed down. And God hasn't spoken to them in 400 years. It's been silent. There hasn't been a prophet. There hasn't been anyone coming along. And so for 400 years, they've been sitting here with these promises 
promises that one day God will bring a deliverer. But you know what? I'm, it's getting harder and harder to believe God. I'm pushed down here in the corner of the Roman government. They're pushing on me. I'm oppressed. I haven't heard from you in 400 years. I've got these promises, but what do they mean anymore? And so they're just beaten down. There's the grit. There's the grind. There's the reality. There's the blemishes, the bruises. And so when they hear Emmanuel, God with us, what do they hear? God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't forgotten us. 400 years of silence, he hasn't forgotten us. God promised that he would send Emmanuel, and he has. So God keeps his word. God hasn't forgotten us. There's beauty in that name. There's not beauty without the blemishes, without the reality. And so when you hear that word, Emmanuel, maybe we should start to ask ourselves these questions. What did it cost Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us? It cost him everything. He had to face the cross. Here's the grit. Here's the blemishes. The cross. And why did he pay that cost? For love. And you say, for love. Yeah, yeah, we say love a lot in church. That's a nice word again. Again, that's a bumper sticker word right there. And we read Romans 5, 8. We read this all the time that God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But you know what? Again, without the blemishes, uh, without the reality, the grit, the grime, we aren't going to see the beauty of this love. Think about it this way. When, when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't the first. Do you understand? Some people argue, and, and, and there's, there's a little bit of difference here, but some people believe either the Romans adopted crucifixion right around the time Jesus was born or right before Jesus was born. So here's the, here's the reality. As Jesus is growing up, maybe he's walking on a road with his dad, Joseph, you know, to go get some supplies. And he sees these men hung up by the Romans on the side of the road as examples. And he sees that horror. Jesus as a boy is teaching in the temple. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He knew what that meant. And he knew he would have to face that. And he kept going. You think about maybe he went into town one time and, and there's this big crowd and, and just all this excitement. And they, they go through the crowd and as they get closer, maybe... There's that pit in Joseph's stomach as he realizes we're getting closer and closer to a crucifixion. I don't want Jesus to see this. I don't mind if James sees it, all right? He, he might need to see this. I don't mind if his other brothers see this, but not, not Jesus, not this one. As they get closer and Jesus sees that, he knows what that means. And he sees that. And he realizes his whole life as he sees this over and over again, that, I have to face that, If I want to be Emmanuel, if I want to be love, if I want to be God with us, I have to face that. And here's what he did. He faced it. He faced it. At any point, he could have left. At any point, he could have walked away. But he didn't. He faced it, and he faced it for us. Why? Because God is love. A love we can't fathom, a love we can't understand. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And the joy of Christmas is found in what the love of God has done for us. It's found in that love. It's found in the love that would come here. It's found in the love that would face the cross. That's the joy of Christmas. And so what I'd like for us to do, I'd like for us to turn to to the book of John. And I want us to start in chapter 1. I want us to look at the opening of John's gospel to see what love has done for us. um, And to find the joy of Christmas in that that love. Uh, John chapter 1. We're going to start right there in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, okay? So, and the Word, that's Jesus, right? It's revealed later down in that chapter that the Word became flesh. So, and the Word, the perfect expression of God, Jesus was with God. He was in the beginning with God. So, this shows the intimacy that Jesus has with the Father. This shows that they shared in glory together, perfectly shared in glory together. Jesus says in John 17, 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So there's perfect love, perfect communion, perfect respect, perfect glory shared between the Father and the Son. And so for Jesus to come here, it wasn't a a single decision. It wasn't just on him to say, you know what? I got this. I'm going to go do this. Because there's perfect communion, perfect relationship there, love had to be sent. So the first thing that we see that love has done for us is love sent. 1 John 4.14 And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. What love is this? That the Father would send His Son. This perfect intimacy He turns into and He gives the perfect sacrifice. What love is this? There's a gut-wrenching story in the Old Testament of Abraham and Isaac, where Isaac is the promised son of Abraham, and, and God tells him he wants him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And, and so Abraham had every intention to do so. We learn that because in Hebrews it says that he knew that God could raise him from the dead. So Abraham goes and he binds his boy and puts him on the altar, and he raises that knife above his head, and the angel of the Lord stops him. God spared him that, that pain. God spared him that, that burden there, but God didn't spare himself that pain. God didn't spare himself that. He poured out, in fact, he poured out his wrath uh, for our sins on Jesus, on the cross. The joy of Christmas is in that love is sent. Love was sent. The Father sacrificed the Son for us. But not only is love sent, but if love is sent, then love came. Look back at John 1, beginning in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at that power that Jesus has. He's the, the, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. He's the author of physical and spiritual life. He's unstoppable. Nothing can overtake him, yet he still comes. And look at his reception. John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people, his own people, did not receive him. Where was Jesus before coming to earth? With the Father. Perfectly exalted, perfectly sharing in glory, on his throne. And he comes here. And what's his reception? He's unknown, and he's rejected. Yet, love still came. Why did love come? Why? He came first to be our sovereign Savior. Colossians 1, 13-14. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Only He has the power to overcome the darkness. We already read in verse 5 of John 1 that the light shines in the darkness and what? The darkness has not overcome it. Only He has the power to save us from the darkness. And if any of you know yourself well enough and are truthful about yourself, you recognize that without the 
Holy Spirit, without the power of God, we are easily overcome by darkness. I was born into darkness. And if it isn't for the light in my life, the light of Jesus Christ, I live and I breathe in darkness, right? And so Jesus has come to be our sovereign Savior, our only, the one with full power, the only one who can save us. The Bible says that when we were powerless, do you understand? We're powerless. You can't just will yourself out of darkness. You can't just find your, your way out of darkness. When we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So he came to be our sovereign Savior, but he also came to be our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He understands our difficulties. He isn't just a sovereign savior, just powerful, who can't sympathize. He, he understands our weaknesses. He's acquainted with them intimately. And so you know what? When we're called to present our bodies a living sacrifice, we don't have a high priest who stands there and goes, yeah, yeah, just do that already. He knows the difficulties. He knows how to help you because he did that. He offered his body as a living sacrifice. He knows the difficulty of it because he did it. So he understands our difficulties, but he also understands our pain. We read Isaiah 53 quite a a bit around Christmas time. It's a, 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 a prophecy of the coming Christ. In verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He knows our pain. When we think about um, what happened in, in Connecticut this past week, and um, I know we all felt something. Um, if you have a child, uh, then you, you felt something. You know, you were moved by that. I, I, uh, I found myself avoiding um, the television as much as possible, avoiding... Um, just looking at my phone for for fear of someone posting something on Facebook about it. I didn't want to think about it. It was just overwhelming. The reality is I can't tell you why that happened. I can't, and I'm not going to attempt to. Uh, That would be horrific. But here's the comfort, is that God is not only sovereign. He's not just sovereign. He's not just powerful. But he's also sympathetic. So it's not just that he he can't sympathize with our grief. He has no idea what we're going through. But he's powerful and he can make it right. And it's not that he's not powerful. He can't do anything about it. But man, he feels your pain. He is perfectly sovereign and he is perfectly sympathetic. And the reality is, according to Revelation 21, he will make this right. He will make what happened in Oregon and in Connecticut and in China and all these other tragedies that happened this week. He will make them right. He will. He will bring with him a new heaven and a new earth. And he will make this right. And the reality is, as we walk through this and we're confused and we're hurting, we have a sympathetic high priest who doesn't look back and say, Man, I bet that hurts. (laughs) I don't know what it's like. I'm up here on my throne. Instead, we have a sympathetic high priest who says, I know. No, it's horrible. I know. I know. You're, you're, you've wept so much. There's no more tears to cry. I've done the same. You know, I, I understand you're so stressed out by this that, that you can't even eat. I've, I've sweat blood before. I understand stress. 
You say, I, God, I just, I, I don't even want to wake up. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm, I'm confused. I just, I'm overwhelmed. And Jesus says, I know what that's like. I'm not just standing up here on my high horse telling you to get over it. I've walked it. I know. And so we have to make a choice to trust. To trust our perfectly sovereign Savior and our perfectly sympathetic high priest. We must trust him. Jesus, one time in his ministry, says, um, says something. He says, if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. At that point, a lot of people said, I'm out, and just walked away, right? Like, that was not a very popular statement. And Jesus turns to his disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter says this, where can we go? You hold the words of life. You can run away from God in this. You can use this or any other tragedy in your life as an opportunity to run from God. But let me ask you this. Where will you go? Only one holds the words of life. There's nothing that my sympathetic Savior, there's nothing that my perfectly sovereign Savior can't get me through and can't guide us through. So, love came to be our sovereign Savior, to be our sympathetic high priest. And then love adopts. John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Underline that, circle that, uh, whatever you got to do, mark it, lick it, whatever you got to do, all right? Make sure that stands out. Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So love adopts. Love adopts from our old identity. Would you flip over to Matthew chapter 1? Look at Matthew chapter 1. This is a, a chapter we don't preach a lot in church, because who wants to preach about genealogies, all right? This is the lineage of Christ through Joseph, uh, and it's tracing, it's tracing Jesus, uh, his family tree back, and And I guess I want to ask you a question. What does your family tree look like? I pray, number one, that it forks. All right? I really pray that. But other than that, what does your family tree look like? I asked my dad last night to tell me about his family. Um, And I was asking for examples. I said, Dad, like, just tell me, just give me some examples of your family. Who are are some heroes? Who are some not so heroes. And so he started to tell me my, my grandmother, his mother, who I, I knew, I knew her and, and knew this. She was absolutely a hero, a hero of the faith. Um, that lady read through the Bible um, more times than, than we could count. I know she recorded 72 times, but she didn't always write it down. This woman knew her Bible. She loved her Jesus and she loved her family. She was a hero of the faith. He gave me another example of, of a cousin of his who was a, a stand-up Christian, a, a true godly man who, who was also a college professor. And so he brought that, that understanding, that faith into uh, academia. And so, so truly a hero. Then we've got other people uh, in the Nixon family, tells me about his uncle Crate. If your name's Crate, come on, all right. Like you name your kid Creighton, that you're setting him up, all right. So anyway, he uh, he went to World War One, came back a little bit messed up, uh, got some nerve gas, and uh, got got a little bit of damage there, and and so he became an alcoholic, uh, and and the family around him supported him. Uh, he was a gambler uh, and actually committed murder uh, over a card game, uh, and so that's in my family. Woohoo! Uh, my my dad's granddad actually, um, after his last daughter was raised up and was about to get married, decided I'm out and went back to Louisiana and raised another family. 
He thought his obligation was over, so he's just going to start another one. But I can kind of understood it. I understand it because he was French, so, you know, that happens. But anyway, um, I don't know what that means. So you think like, okay, so yeah, a lot of our families, if we trace our lineage back, it's going to look like that. Probably not worthy to be necessarily written down, all right, you know? But listen to this. Look about the lineage of Jesus. It's got to be better, right? Surely, right? Look at the heroes. We've got David, a man after God's own heart. Abraham, promise of God to be made into a great nation. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Look closer at the list. Jeconiah, one of the most wicked kings who ever ruled. Tamar. Tamar, okay, quick story. Tamar marries Judah's son. Judah's son dies, doesn't give her an heir. Uh, uh, then he marries Judah's uh, uh, other son. That, that son did his right, married his brother's widow. Um, he did not give her an heir. God killed him because of his wickedness. And so Judah said, I'm not giving you another one of my kids. You keep killing him, right? And so what Tamar does is she dresses up like a temple prostitute. And she says, I'm going to get Judah to sleep with me because I'm going to continue this line. And so Judah gives into a temple prostitute who turns out to be his daughter in law and of course she's pregnant with twins i don't think that says anything negative about twins all right let's just get that straight so that's in jesus's lineage jacob was a cheater abraham a liar david an adulterer and murderer why does jesus jesus's lineage look like this why in the world i think it's to show two things number one we all need a savior some of these in here, you go, absolutely. Jeconiah, you need a savior. Tamar, you need a savior. Judah, you need a savior. Jacob, you need a savior. But then we look at the heroes. David absolutely needed a savior. Abraham needed a savior. This lineage isn't about the savior of the world, David. The savior of the world, Abraham. This lineage is about the savior of the world, Jesus. We all need a savior. And the second thing is that the savior has come for all. I am sure that if we spent a lot of time breaking down this list, we would all identify, unfortunately, with some people in this lineage. This list has men, women, Jews, Gentiles, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, losers, and liars. Whoever you are, here's the reality. Love has come for you. Love wants to adopt you out of that old identity and into a new. I want to give you an example from his lineage, um, Rahab. Rahab lived in Jericho, and she was a prostitute. That was her identity. That's how people identified her. When they saw her coming, that's a prostitute. They knew who she was and knew where she lived. They knew what happened in her home. She's a prostitute. When she introduced herself to people, I'm sure that immediately, oh, Rahab? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're a prostitute. She was treated that way. That was her. That was her whole identity. And so God is saying, I'm going to give Jericho to the Israelites. And so he sends two spies in. And these two spies are, are uh, trying to hide um, from the people in Jericho. And so they find themselves at this prostitute's door and ask for her help. What can she do? She's a prostitute. How can she help what God is doing, right? That's who she is. But what did she do? She believed them. She believed God is who he says he is. She believed that God would do what he, was going, he said he was going to do. And so she helped them and she asked in faith. We know that from Hebrews. She asked in faith for God's mercy and his kindness. And what's the result? She's in the lineage of Christ. This prostitute is in the lineage of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, you see some of the heroes of our faith. Do you know who's in there? Rahab. Isn't that incredible? 
She believed God and God gave her a new identity. Have you made horrible decisions? Or do you identify yourself as something you wish you weren't identified as? Do other people look at you and immediately mark you in some certain way? Do you come from a family that, you know what? They're all screw-ups. I'm a screw-up. That's all I'm going to be. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Is that how you identify yourself? Because here's what love says. Love says, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to take you out of that Rahab. You're no longer a prostitute. You're my daughter. That's what love says. Love says, I want you in my family. I want to give you the honor of being my child. Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Says, I don't care who you are, you're, now, you're mine now. I don't care who you were, you're mine now. There's no condemnation. Your sin and the enemy might be speaking against you and say, you're a liar. And you need to say, no, no, I was a liar. I'm a child of God. They're going to speak against you and say, no, 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 you are the worst. You are the chiefest of sinners. No, 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 I was. Now I'm a child of God. Love came to adopt us from our old identity and to give us a new one. And lastly, love reveals. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the Son, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Skip down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now that we're adopted, we can know God. Look at what it says there. No one's ever seen God, meaning no one's ever fully known God. Jesus does, though. And he has made him known. Look at that. We have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. So Jesus fully knows God. He's fully seen God, and he's made him known. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. Look at verse 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Look at verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. The words of Jesus are God's words. The passion of Jesus is God's passion. As we read about and study the heart of Jesus, we're studying the glory of God. Moses asked to see God. Moses wanted to see God. Now, we, see, we hear the story where, where God says, you know, of course, no, if you see me, you'll die. So he hides him in the side of the mountain and passes by. Moses sees his back. God is spirit. Spirits don't have backs. All right? Spirits don't have hands. So what does that mean? Moses was saying, fully show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Remove the veil. Remove the mystery. I want to see you. And he says, no, Moses. No, no, no. I'll give you a partial revelation. I'll show you part of who I am. But look at this. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. So where Moses was told no, we now in Christ are told yes. Do you understand that? Listen to me. Where Moses was told no, we are told in Christ yes. Do you want to know God fully? Jesus is God and he's waiting to be fully known. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that Jesus didn't just come to save us, but he came to reveal himself to us, to show us his glory. Do you understand that? Isn't that an incredible gift? At Christmas time, we have all kinds of priorities. I wonder where does this fall on our priority list? I have priorities. I have family. 
You know, we have family coming in town. I've got to take 38 different pictures. I look the same. Why do we have to keep doing that, right? We have all kinds of weird things, that traditions we have to do. But where does it fall in my list of priorities that the God of the universe, the love that has come, Emmanuel, God with us, has come as an exact representation of God himself to reveal the glory of God to me? Where's my priority in pursuing that in the Christmas season? Leads me to my last thing. Love requires a response. If we keep reading in Matthew's gospel, we're going to see a few characters that encounter the love of God, this love, Jesus, before anybody else. Uh, King Herod and the wise men. Um, King Herod encounters Jesus and he hears he's the king of the Jews and that's King Herod's title. And so King Herod, uh, he wants him dead. And so King Herod puts out a decree that um, all boys two and under uh, be killed in the kingdom. A little insecure. So that his... His throne isn't threatened. The wise men, they submit to Jesus and they protected him. King Herod wanted them to come back and tell him where he is and they didn't. They traveled another way because they wanted to protect him because they loved him. What do they have in common? They both responded and love requires a response. Herod responded with self-worship. The wise men responded with proper worship. And what is proper worship? Let me give you J.I. Packer's definition. To worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness, to look Godward and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end. And from one point of view, the whole duty of man. So Herod spent the first Christmas looking at himself and how can I glorify myself and how can I make myself happy and the wise men spent the first Christmas looking at Jesus and looking Godward and acknowledging his value so my question is to this love how will you respond will you respond like Herod with self-worship or will you respond with a a Christ-exalting worship will you respond with a worship centered on who he is I'm going to close this in prayer and uh, we're going to, Lynn's going to lead us in a, a song just to respond and um, to worship the Lord together. You know, Christmas is crazy, man. <laughs> and it's, it's just, there's just so much going on. And it's just like, it seems like it's over before it began, you know. And you look back and go, where did all of our money go? <laughs> you know, and it's just over. But in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, don't forget this. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Love has come. And he's taken our past away. And he's giving us his future. And he's revealing himself to us. How amazing is this Christmas message. How amazing is this love. My prayer is that you would respond appropriately with worship. God-centered, God-focused worship valuing him in every area of your life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, we're about to sing this song and, and lift you up. And God, I pray that, that you would uh, use our voices and use this time together to, to receive honor. Um, but God, there are people in this room that Christmas, maybe Christmas has just been a story. And maybe it has been that little clean nativity scene we talked about. Maybe they didn't understand what you really came for. You didn't come just to, just to make us feel good about yourselves. You didn't come even just to give us a, a way to heaven, a way out of hell. You came to, to unite us and yourself. You came to bring us back to God. 
He came to change every part of our life. To give us a new identity. That God, we would no longer be known as people who follow ourselves or, or satisfy ourselves. We'd be people who we want to follow Jesus. I want to do things your way, not my way. So Lord, if there are people in this room that, that that's them, there are people who uh, they don't know, um, they haven't followed you like that before, God, may today be the first day they do that. May today be the, the day where they finally say, I'm not going to live for me anymore. I want to follow you. I want to know you. So God, forgive me and make me your child. Give me a, a new future. Forgive my sin. Put it behind me and give me a new life. Would there be people today who would pray that prayer and that, God, you would save them. For the rest of us, Lord, I confess. I confess that I, I miss it. I miss Emmanuel. I miss the depth of your love. I admit and I confess that so often I respond selfishly. What can this love do for me? How can this love make me feel? Lord, change our hearts. Bring us to repentance if that's us today. May we see you for who you are as Emmanuel, God with us. Ultimate love, perfect love. And may our only response be worship, be giving you everything that we are. All of my ambitions, all of my decisions, all of my relationships. I want them all to honor you. I want to love you in that way. So Lord, whatever our decision is today, would you work in our hearts and have your way? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? And if you need to make a response, if, if you need to come forward and kneel and pray, if you need to come forward, talk with Brother John or I and pray, whatever you need to do. Um, you be faithful to what the Lord's calling you to do in this time. Um, let's worship.